Welcome to episode three of the Sports Leadership Podcast. I am your co-host, Kevin DeShazo of Fieldhouse Media, along with Mark Hodgkin. Mark, how are things? Things well, Kevin. Uh, enjoying the holiday season. Hope, uh, hope everybody out there listening is uh, having a good holiday and a happy new year. Absolutely. It's, it's a time of year where people are, are hitting reset and they're reflecting, what was 2016? How did it go? What went well? What do I need to change? What do I need to continue doing? How can I make 2017 better and trying to be intentional again versus accidental? And part of that includes reading. And I love to read. I've become a big reader over the past three or four years. I lost that love for a good portion of my life, but I've regained it. And so that's what we want to talk about today, uh, doing a little recap of, of some of our favorite books that we read in 2016 and, and why we read, when we read, how we fit that into our schedules. Because I do think, regardless of what President-elect Trump says, uh, leaders are readers. We, we do need to be reading. We do need to be challenging our, our way of thinking, our point of view in the world and so Mark and I today are just going to share some of the books that we read in 2016. We'll just go over a couple, have some conversation about those books, uh, and hopefully inspire you guys to, to maybe get these on your list. And we'll, we'll post uh, a list of, of additional books that we found valuable in 2016 on, on the website and hopefully give you some things to think about uh, as you move into 2017. So Mark, first off, how many books did you read in 2016? Yeah, this year, um, you know, like a lot of people, the, the common resolution is to read more. And this year was one of the, the times I was able to do that. I actually got through 60 total books uh, this year, which is uh, definitely a record for me. And I think that, that reading a lot, it really does have a transformative effect on your life and how you approach things. And I know that sounds very grandiose and very hyperbolic, but I think this, uh, some of the books we'll talk about today and some of the ones we'll put up on the, on the website, you know, had a fundamental change in the way I, I look at the world, develop better habits because of it. I've gained mental strength. I've had some new ways of living. And I don't think it's a stretch to say a lot of it's tied into um, the new ideas and the new things I was able to, uh, to learn about and open my mind up to based on reading all those books. 60. That is, that is incredible. I did not hit that number this year. I did not come close to that number. I don't know that I'll ever read 60 in a year, but that's, that's incredible. Uh, I commend you on, on that achievement. I, I was somewhere around the 20 mark this year, a little bit less than, than, than normal for me the past few years. I don't have a real reason for that. Uh, as much as I've kind of regained my love of reading, I still go in and out of seasons when I'm reading a lot. Uh, when do you find time to read? Yeah, you know, I've gotten in the habit of, of reading pretty much every night before I go to bed, just to having a, a way to kind of bring my day back to center, to kind of relax my mind, uh, get ready to sleep. I do that um, most times. When I fly, I almost always am reading on the Kindle, uh, just an easy thing to do. I traveled quite a bit this year, so that, that, that was a lot of it. And then the third thing is, you know, the Kindle app on my phone, you know, spending a lot of time just kind of, you know, even if you have a spare five or 10 minutes, you know, everybody's always looking at their phone. I ch shifted some of that for maybe social media or something else to, uh, to just get in five minutes here, 10 minutes there of, uh, of books. And it seemed to add up. I think it's just a conscious effort to do it. You know, if you find the right books, it doesn't feel like a chore. It had kind of a snowballing effect for sure too. The more you kind of get through it, you know, you get, I want to learn a little bit more about this or a little bit more about that. And then you kind of find more things and there's more books than anyone could read in a lifetime out there. So it kind of builds on itself. Yeah, and I think that's a great point with the social media. And both of us love social media. We, we work in the social space, spend a lot of time there. And it's easy to get so lost, for lack of a better term, in, in the social stream because new articles, new blog posts are, are flying all day, every day for the next latest and greatest thing. And I think it's, there's so much value in, in every industry, but especially in ours, of just backing up 
slowing down and then getting lost in a book, whether that's a book about marketing, whether it's about storytelling, whether it's about leadership or mindfulness, whatever it may be, just to slow down and give our brain something to focus on uh, and not just be so distracted constantly. I think there's so much value in, in books. What I'm bummed about, and, and this is a choice, this is not a you know, something that society has put on us, but with the Kindle app, I'm, I'm a big believer in the Kindle app um, on my phone. I have a Kindle that I read when I'm, I'm on planes. But I would love to have a library in my home or in my office, just walls and stacks of books. And, you know, over the past five years, I've probably read 300 books, hit or miss, and they're all on my phone. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the new uh, library wall or wall in our home full of books. It's, it's on our phone. So part of me misses that nostalgia of having a, a room full of books that I can just go pick one and get lost in, or my kids can pick one and just sit in the chair and get lost for an afternoon. Uh, I tend to read when I'm traveling, which is obviously what I do quite a bit. Uh, I think I was on the road, haven't, haven't looked at it specifically, but I think around 100, 110 days this year. So it gives me a lot of time to fly on planes. If, if I can make the choice to not pay $8 for Wi-Fi and check Twitter and do work, I make the choice to, to read. And so some books I've completed on a flight, or if I'm flying from Oklahoma City to, to New York, which might take me six hours on planes, I can finish a book, book and a half in that time. Uh, if, if I'm intentional with it, which is great. That allows me to knock some things out. What are, what are the kinds of books that you not just generally like to read, but that you found yourself reading this year? Yeah, I definitely, you know, I've always skewed farther being a history major and that kind of be my background to the nonfiction side. Um, I did make a effort to read a couple, uh, fiction books this year, but I think it was only three out of the 60. So pretty, uh, still pretty low percentage, but this year, I think the, the, the thread that I look back at that a lot of these books crossed. And I think was, was, um, a conscious effort on my own was the way we think, the way we approach the world, the way we use, you know, what's between our two ears to, to make a better life and to think about things. I mean, the brain is such a powerful organ that, uh, you know, can, can easily go to stuff that's not productive and can be a hindrance, can be something that holds us back, that can get in your way. I've always been told by people, whether it's coaches or bosses or family, you're too inside your own head, you're hard on yourself. You think about things maybe too much and that's kind of held me back. So this year I said, how can we turn that kind of around and some of these books, um, and we'll talk about a few of them really focused on how to use your mind to, to be a better person, be a better professional and, and, and just have a more enjoyable and productive way of life. So that's probably the, the most common read for me. What, what kind of books do you generally gravitate towards and what were some of the best ones from this year for your, your perspective? Yeah, I, I can easily get lost in a good story. So I've been a big fan of, of Donald Miller's books. Uh, I love Stephen Pressfield. Um, a book of his that I read every year is The War of Art. Uh, it's, it's an easy read, but it's a challenging read on creating, on overcoming fear, on facing resistance. Um, so stuff like that that I feel, again, I think a lot of this is just based on our, on our personalities. Like you saying you're, you love you know, reading stuff about history, that, that makes sense to me. But for me, I, as, as a dreamer, as a big ideas guy, like I, I get lost in good stories and about creating and about the future and what could be. Um, so one of, one of my favorite reads of, of this year, uh, I was late to the game in discovering uh, Ryan Holiday. And, and Carter Henderson at, at Washington had mentioned some of his books, thought that I would enjoy. Then I was, I was at Arkansas this fall, and, and Chris Freet mentioned uh, Obstacles Away and, and Ego is the Enemy. And so I, I read both of them this year. I read Ego is the Enemy twice. Uh, I read it on a flight to a school. And that, I think, is one of my top three books of all time. Uh, I've been fascinated with, with this, you know, Ryan Holiday, it's really interesting that he's not 30 years old, but he's already had several New York Times bestsellers, which 
if that were me, I would be the most egotistical person on the planet. I would try not to be, but I'm sure that I, I, I would be a jerk. And maybe he is, but he writes books that, that are, you know, he's intentionally trying to take his energies a different direction. And so this, I, this book, The Ego is the Enemy, uh, it was just fascinating. I think our, our ego gets in our way every, every day. I don't think it does. I know that our ego gets, gets in our way. And, and we think about ourselves far too often. Um, we think other people are thinking about us far too often. A guy named Richard Rohr, who's a, a friar in, uh, I think a Franciscan friar, I probably just screwed that up, in uh, New Mexico, has these five truths for men that he tried to teach to his sons and other men that he coaches and mentors. And two of those truths are, you are not that important and the world is not about you. And which ties into Holiday's message and the ego's the enemy is like, we are not that big of a deal. So I think if we can get out of our own head and think of ourselves less and fight against our ego, we can, we can just lower the drama in our life. We can be less impulsive uh, and we can actually work. You know, his, one of the messages in the book is, is get rid of passion, find purpose. Because um, you can be passionate about a lot of things. But if you can, you can find purpose in something, then your ego gets out of the way and you realize you're working for something bigger than yourself. And that's where, that's where the energy comes from is that it's not about me. It's about this bigger idea, this bigger purpose that I'm working for. And I just thought it, it goes against most of what our culture preaches, where it's all about do what you need, find what you want, pursue your dreams, live your passions, all these things about me, 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 me that tend to push everyone else to the side, which causes us to live and lead for ourselves, not for the good of others or even thinking about others. And so this message, I think is timely and I think it, it, it matters. Yeah. I thought, and I thought that was a great read as well. Um, and one of the things, you know, the, the title jumps off the, off the cover at you about the egos, the enemy. And, and I think we, one of the things that I liked about that book was some of the more subtle examples of where ego comes into play with personality. I think we'd all admit that having a, Big ego generally is obnoxious and we can see the damaging, but sometimes it's just the, the day-to-day things where you're, you're inward focused on, on something and you're, you're thinking about yourself more than you should be, or you're, you're making decisions based on, you know, subtle parts of ego of, you know, what is that beneath me? I think that was a fantastic read as well. And, um, I actually read, I think all four of, of Ryan's books this year. Um, and the first one I read was uh, obstacles away, which I actually, um, enjoyed a great deal and really opened up a lot of my mind to this ancient Greek philosophy of stoicism. And um, I've gone in a, down the rabbit hole on that this year and read a lot of books from, you know, Marcus Aurelius to Epictetus to, to Seneca and some of the originals, but also what Holiday is able to do kind of bring that into today's landscape and, and these, these ideas that to me are, are still fresh and vibrant and very relatable, even though the people, you know, who are initially talking about them died 2000 years ago. So I, I totally agree. I think it's a, it's a fascinating, he's a fascinating author. It's a great thing to read about and really implement your life. And I'd always disliked philosophy since I had a philosophy class in college. And I thought it was just this, I don't know, vapid theory. And, and, and it, it was just boring to me and it wasn't interesting and you can never nail down a real answer. But what, what he talks about in these books is that philosophy in its truest sense and its most productive sense is a, is a way to live better. And it's only be, if you're being put into action and that is not how I ever thought of philosophy. So I'm, I'm glad that I was able to find that, uh, that book and, and really open up some things to, uh, to my eyes. Yeah, I think that's a great point in that it, these books and this idea, they, they call us to action, right? They, they get past, it's, it's not just thinking, it's not just information, but it's, okay, these things in life are going to happen. Uh, I can't control everything. So number one, let, let, me, let me get rid of the pressure and this idea that I'm in control. 
But number two, I can control my, my response. I can control my attitude. I can control how I treat people. Anything can pop up throughout my day, whether it's, and, and we can decide that's an obstacle or we can decide we can, we can get around it. We can get through it. We can go over it, whatever it may be. And that sounds cliche and cheesy. And I fully get that because I, I, I would believe that way a couple of years ago, uh, with, with topics like that, but putting these things into practice, you actually start to see a difference. And, and you start to accomplish things as opposed to making excuses for things. And I think that's what our world needs are people who act, people who create, not people who sit back and make excuses. You know, I had a story yesterday. I'll try to make this kind of short. Yesterday, I dropped my boys off at school. My car dies a block later. And we had essentially sub-zero temps all weekend. I didn't drive my car. So I thought, eh, I just needs to warm up. It'll be good. Uh, my car died in front of the police station, which is convenient. So a police officer comes out and jumps my car. I have an 830 meeting. I make it three blocks. My 830 comes and picks me up. We have our meeting. He drops me off. Car starts fine. I make it four blocks, and it dies in an intersection. A friend of mine runs a nonprofit half a block away, so I go in to get warm because it's a wind chill of seven degrees at this point and to call uh, AAA to have them come tow my car and call AAA. They say, great, we're on the way. I canceled a lunch meeting that I was supposed to have. Uh, and I walk back down the street to, to meet AAA at my car and my car is gone. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And we realized that the, the police had probably towed it because they thought it was a traffic hazard being in, in the street. Even though the hazard lights were on, it was not in an intersection. It doesn't matter. Technically it was a, a traffic hazard. And so it would have been easy at this point for me to just be going, gosh, the world is conspiring against me. Everything is going wrong to be angry, to be throwing fits. And certainly I had negative thoughts. Like I'm not, not saying I didn't have negative thoughts. I think one of the things as, as we get better as people, as we get better as leaders, those thoughts don't go away. We just don't act on them uh, more often than not. Which, and so it was a huge test for me all day to choose how I was going to respond to all these things. And so I called the impound lot. Yep. Your car's here drive over there. I'm now AAA is three and a half hours behind. So I'm just sitting there. Um, a lot of first world problems. My phone's dying, no Wi-Fi. I have work that I need to get done. And I'm just sitting here waiting. So finally AAA shows up. We get my car to the mechanic. Uh, it's in the shop for a couple of days now. And so I'm going to be out probably 500 bucks, maybe more. This whole thing wasn't finished until three o'clock yesterday afternoon. I missed lunch, all sorts of things that needed to be done. And typically I would have been just furious. Like this would have set me off. I'm, I'm pissed. My interaction, with my wife are going to be bad. Interactions with friends are going to be bad. And at one point I said, okay, at least, at least a, I have a car, even though it's broken down right now. I, I, I have a car. I have the ability to pay for it, to get fixed. It's not going to destroy. It's not fun. Like I, I don't want to be paying $500 for that right now, but that doesn't ruin Christmas for us. It doesn't bankrupt us. At least I have the relational capital to, to get these things done, have AAA to call. I had a friend working in an office who was able to spend a couple hours with me taking care of things, driving around. So all these things that, that actually I should be grateful for helped me kind of put into perspective, okay, this is not that big of a deal. Yes, it knocked my day out, but I, I still have everything in the world that I need and more. And, and it was interesting when I was at the, the impound lot, everyone there is angry. Right? Nobody at the impound lot is in a good mood. So even the workers, because of that, they're stressed out. They're, they're angry. They're frustrated. So I walked in and said, hey, I think you've got my car. So she pulls out the paperwork and she's real short. And I'm just being intentionally trying to be real kind, kind of make a couple jokes. And she goes, what's, what's wrong with you? I was like, what do you mean what's wrong with me? She's like, why aren't you like, you're not yelling at us. You're almost happy that you're here. It's like, don't get me wrong. I am in no way, shape or form happy that I'm here. But what, what good is me being mad going to do? 
Like you didn't, you didn't tow my car because you hate me. It was your job. The police called you. They thought it was a traffic hazard. So you went and towed it. Am I happy about that? No. Am I happy that I'm paying you $136? No. Am I happy I'm going to have to sit here for three hours? No. But me getting angry just makes this entire experience worse. And I've been that guy before where I've been angry and it does make it worse. And she was like, oh, okay. So like, sure, I sat there for three hours, but and I watched people come in all day angry and yelling and cussing people out. I was like, man, I've been that guy. I haven't cussed people out, but I've been that angry person. And it's like, that's not, that's not who I want to be. And so I couldn't choose all those things that happened yesterday. And, and I'm not saying, not trying to brag, say, Oh, look how great I handled it. Maybe for the first time ever, I handled stuff like that. Well, but it showed me that, it, that a, it's possible that we can choose how we respond. We can choose our attitude in these situations. And that does make genuinely all the difference in the world in every interaction. Uh, because my wife, like things were good with her and with my kids. I was able to laugh about them. Guys, you're not going to believe daddy's story today. What a crazy day. And so I'm laughing as I'm telling them because what other option do I have other than to laugh and say, you know what? Days like today happen. Yeah. It's, that's a great story. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry you had to deal with that, but that's a, it's a great way to look at it. And that really is the tenet of these books that we're, we're talking about that. Um, and it didn't click for me either until, um, I kind of got more into this and, and until I read, uh, the obstacles away, I don't think it ever really clicked and made, made sense to me, but the, the main tenant there being that you cannot control outside circumstance or at least most outside circumstances, but you always control the way you react to them. And you're right. You know, you could have been miserable and, and nobody would have blamed you for being like that at the, at the impound lot. But at the end of the day, would that have made your life any better? And how soon was that over? And you're past it. And there's other things going on and it didn't have to ruin your day. And I used to be the guy who, who would have been incredibly ornery in a situation like that or in traffic. I've noticed the difference in, um, you know, when I'm driving, I've just, somebody cut me off. Oh, okay. I, I can't really do much about that. And, um, it sounds so simple and it does sound like a cliche, but if you take those messages and really put them in practice, I mean, I've noticed it in, just an enormous change in, in my lifestyle, I think for the better. So that's a great anecdote. Um, and I, I think something that we could all, everybody can work on. And, and that, again, it's not to pat myself on the back and say I'm perfect because I still have those uh, lapses and I have to get reminded by my wife. Okay. Like, well, let's, you know, remember to bring it in here and, and we're, we, you know, that's never going to, it's never going to go away. Nobody ever gets fixed. You know, you don't read these books to, to, to improve. And then, Oh, I read, Ego is the enemy. I will never have an ego related problem again. You have to know that it's a process. You have to know that you'll, you'll slip up and you have to, uh, you know, put the stuff you read into action. And I think that's probably one of the things that probably, you know, it, I didn't realize as much until this year that you have to do is you have to, you read this stuff and it's not just going in there and, and it's like a card catalog and you can just pull it back up. You have to put them into, into action, into your daily life to, to really reap any benefit from it. Yeah, you have to actually apply these things. And it goes back to the tool we've talked about before of know yourself to lead yourself, right? I'm always going to have these tendencies when things go unexpected in a negative way. I'm always going to have a tendency to respond, maybe out of negativity, maybe out of sarcasm, maybe out of anger. But if I just step back, I can choose a different action. And I think doing that, if, if we can step back a little bit and not respond in the moment, uh, it allows us to have a little more clarity. In, in the way that we respond, which can totally diffuse the situation, just, just allows us to make better decisions. If we can just stop and step back a little bit, bring some clarity, bring some perspective into the situation, uh, we'll make far better decisions, which create far better outcomes uh, for those around us. And, and again, that's not a, 
that's not an easy thing. That's an everyday thing where you have to, to choose the, the right thing to do and, and nobody's perfect. And so certainly not suggesting that I'll probably mess up today, but be, like I said, being mindful of those things, being mindful of your choices, being mindful of your, of your responses. Uh, what's another book that you read this year that you thought was really powerful? Another book that I, I enjoyed and really had a, a big impact on the way I work was a book called The Power of Full Engagement by Jim Lohr. Um, and the, the basic premise of that book is that we all have 24 hours in a day and it's, you know, time management is something we're all talking about. There's a million life hacks about managing your time and being more efficient. And I, I agree with the need to do that, but it's talking about your energy management and how you apply the best of yourself to the most important parts of your work. And it, it ties into a lot of these other things we've talked about of, of putting the most important things first. And this goes from everything from um, knowing what your optimal time of work in the day is, and then putting the important stuff there. So if you're your best first thing in the morning, don't waste half of that time going through emails or uh, doing expense reports or, you know, stuff that's not, and won't make the most impact on the other end. So um, I thought that book, uh, The Powerful Engagement was definitely a a great one uh, to read as well as a book called Extreme Ownership, uh, which is written by two Navy SEALs, Leif Babin and Jocko Willenick, and uh, talks about their experiences leading SEAL teams in Afghanistan and Iraq um, which is obviously an, an extreme situation and um, an extraordinary situation. But it, it talks about taking everything that you touch, really, and assuming extreme ownership of it. Assuming, you know, it's again, it's no excuses. It's, it's um, there's a mistake in your team, you own that. And that's how you develop uh, report to people you work for. It reminded me a lot of things, Kevin, that you've talked about. But um, I thought that book was a, was a fantastic read, not only for some amazing stories about you know, real, real heroic individuals overseas, but how they translate that to the business side of things now in their, in their consulting work. I love that. I love the idea of owning it. It's easy for us to push responsibilities off and say, well, that's not my job. Well, that's not under, under me. That's not, if, if we see something, and again, it's easier said than done. If we see something that should be fixed, that's going wrong, whether that's task related, whether that's culture related, if we don't own it, we then become part of the problem. Uh, and, and, and that's what leaders do, right? They step up and say, you know what, this is not okay. Now, and obviously the way that you approach that matters, but we don't, what, what you, what you allow you endorse. And so if we're allowing certain behaviors, certain things to go on and we're not speaking up, whether we're the boss or not, we're allowing that to be part of our culture. There's a big piece. I think that, that teams are missing often where we put all the onus of responsibility and accountability on the leader, uh, as opposed to us owning our situation, owning our roles, owning our mistakes. And it's amazing how your influence grows when you own, own what you've done. Just like, you know, in, in sports, you know, a guy drops a pass or commits a penalty, puts his hand like, yeah, it's on me, my bad. People are like, we get it. You screwed up. It happens. Whereas if they throw a fit, even, even fans of the team, are like, come on, like we saw you grab the guy down like 10 yards before the ball ever showed up. Like you, you clearly committed a penalty. You look like an idiot. And we don't want to be that guy. We want to be the guy that puts their hands up. So yeah, I own that. My bad. I was out of position. I panicked, whatever it may be uh, within our team. We want to own those, own those situations. One of my favorite books that I read this year is called The Culture Code. Uh, I'm going to butcher the guy's name. Uh, and if you speak French and you're listening to this, my deepest apologies. The Culture Code by Clotaire Rapai. Who knows? It's a fantastic look at just different cultures, mostly looking at, at the U.S., and how what what code words uh, are are define certain industries define certain ideals like even kind of the culture code for America in general is adolescent 
Um, we are kind of an adolescent country. You know, we rebelled against the one king that we, we ever really had. We never really grew up, which is why some of our most successful brands are, are those things that tie back to uh, adolescent desires, you know, whether that's soft drinks or cool shoes or fast food or crazy, like violent, loud action movies, those kind of fuel our adolescent mindset. But it's a, it's a really interesting book as it relates to marketing, as it relates to messaging, as it relates to leading. Uh, and so just a couple of, of examples of code words for, for the U.S., um, like the American culture code for work is who you are which means we, we get and put so much meaning into our jobs. For most of us, we get our identity in our, in our work. And so if we're working in a nine to five that we feel like we're not contributing anything to the world, our company is, is a mess, there's no value, we aren't valued, we, then we feel meaningless. Right? If we feel that, that our, our contributions each day aren't worth anything, then, then we take that as we are not worth anything. On the flip side, if we feel like we're contributing to the greater good, like if you're working for Tom's and so you're giving kids in an impoverished co- country shoes for the first time, then you feel like you're a valuable person uh, because you're working for a company that, that is quote unquote doing valuable work. And so this, this is a huge thing for leaders in terms of your employees shouldn't just be showing up to work every day. If they are, uh, they're, they're not going to be engaged. And I think it was Gallup had a study uh, that 70% of, of employees are not engaged at work and because they don't feel, and it's not about the task, right? People can, can show up and feel meaning and value in quote unquote meaningless tasks. If they feel like that it's leading to some, something meaningful. An example for me, when I was in the healthcare industry, um, you know, we were, we were healthcare recruiters. So we were just making tons of phone calls a day, trying to find nurses and therapists to fill job orders that we had. Well, that sounds like a boring job. And the task itself was really boring. I remember one day my boss comes in and he had been at the tire shop getting, getting his tires changed or something. And he's sitting next to a guy and they start talking. And, and dialysis was kind of our main field for nursing. We were a real niche in that industry. And my boss and this guy start talking and he says, what do you do? And or, what, you know, what are you waiting on? He's like, oh, I'm a dialysis patient waiting on my ride back to the, to the clinic to get dialysis. And the guy's like, interesting. Interesting. Well, I, you know, I actually work in dialysis. I help nurses find jobs. Because, well, tell me about your nurse and the nurses that you have. I mean, do they treat you well? Do they, do they, you like them? And the guy said, man, tell you what, if it wasn't for my nurses, I wouldn't be alive. They are my, my life vest. I wouldn't be here if not for them. And so he came back and told that story like, guys, this is what we're doing. We're keeping people alive because without these nurses in place, these, these clinics that have a shortage of nurses, these patients aren't getting the care that they need. And by us doing our jobs, doing it well and making sure we're placing the right people in the right places, we're keeping people alive. And so that was one of those moments for me. I'm like, ah, oh, this is why we do what we do. So now I've got, sure, I have to make 50 calls a day or a hundred calls a day or whatever it may be. But I was, I found value in me as a person based on me feeling value in the work that we are doing. So the, this book is just a really fascinating look at America and how we view things. We view money. The culture code is proof. It's, it's proof of establishment. It's proof of accomplishment. It's proof of, of value. Uh, and so it's just a really interesting thing, especially for us who work in the marketing piece, uh, the marketing industry, to realize if, if we can have a great product, we can have a great experience to sell. But if we're off code in the way that we market that, we're going to completely miss our mark with people. It's going to cause our product or our brand uh, to fail. So I thought it was a really interesting 
read that, that applies to, to a lot of different, a lot of different sectors. Uh, and then a couple other that I read that, you know, again, we don't have time to, to, to dive into today. Ben Parr wrote a book on captivology, the science of getting people's attention, of being captivating. I thought that was a really fascinating read. A lot of the books that I've been reading are about communication, uh, not just about social media and marketing, but how do I be a better communicator, whether that's in front of a group, whether that's on a podcast, whether um, that's with my family, whatever that may look like. And so this idea of, of telling captivating stories, of knowing how to captivate an audience, uh, strategic storytelling uh, by Dave McKenzie, I thought was a really fascinating one. Strategic Storytelling was a great book by Dave McKenzie on how to shape unique and, and compelling presentations. And then I'm also a big... I'm also a big fan of Patrick Lencioni. He's a great leadership writer. He writes some really simple books that leaders can utilize. He's got one called The Advantage. It's not a new book, but it is one that I read for the first time this past year. Most things that he writes, um, he uses a lot of kind of giant concepts that, that we teach in our leadership sessions. So he, his book, The Advantage, I think is a must read for those in, in the leadership space. And as we're recording this podcast, as we're recording this podcast on great books of 2016, we get a tweet from Jason Brower who runs social for the West Michigan Whitecaps, the single A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers, says, thanks to the Sports Leadership Podcast, this will be my Christmas vacation reading material. Thanks for the motivation. So he, he bought Five Gears, which we talked about a little bit in episode two, briefly on how to rest and recharge. Uh, so with that in mind, hey, Jason, thanks for the tweet. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. But number two, I probably should mention uh, the books from our giant family, Giant Worldwide, Five Gears, How to Be Present and Productive When There Is Never Enough Time. And then Five Voices, How to Communicate Effectively with Everyone That You Lead. Both great books uh, by my friends Jeremy Kubitschek and Steve Cockrum. Uh, what, are, what are a few more, again, we may not have time to break all these down, but what are a few more books that you recommend for people listening to the podcast that they can think about uh, as we head into 2017? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the ones that uh, that I thought really was good and has been getting a lot of hype is another kind of, I'd say, stoic-minded book by a young uh, young writer, Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Blank. I'll uh, leave it at that for, uh, for not a uh, censored podcast. Family-friendly. Um, We're family-friendly. Absolutely. We're rated PG here. And, uh, you know, if, if we talked about Brian Holiday being young and writing about these ancient premises and you know, same thing with Mark Manson, but uh, another book that I found very impactful, not a new one, um, was uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is a, uh, you know, we talked about uh, perspective and how things uh, aren't maybe as bad as they seem. Uh, Victor Frankl was in a concentration camp, and hopefully nobody listening to this will ever be in a situation like that. But he talked about, you know, your mind being the last thing that people could take from you. And, you know, if you can do it there, you know, what excuses do we have? So uh, that was a good book. A few others that I thought were pretty impactful the Art of Work by Jeff Goins, uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport. I know we'll talk a little bit more about that book on a future um, podcast. Uh, Eric Brayton's Resilience I found really um, interesting. It's a collection of letters um, actually from another Navy SEAL to, uh, to a former comrade of his who's going through hard times, and I thought that was a, a fantastic read. Not new, but um, Jonah Berger's Contagious I thought was a great marketing book, uh, talking about why things catch on and how. On a personal note, I read a book called The More of Less, which is about um, minimalism, something that I've been really getting into a little bit more of having less things and uh, the, the benefits that that can have on your life. I found that to be a great read. Um, Kevin Kelly's The Inevitable talks about the, the changing force of technology and I think is a, a fascinating read and something that's beneficial for, for all people to read. And uh, I guess I'll say the last one that I thought really struck a chord was um, Amy Cuddy's presence, um, she talks about the power of body language and, and things like that on, on your, uh, 
ability to uh, to lead. So those are uh, just a few. Like I said, we'll put these up on the website so you can see my full list and Kevin's full list. And uh, we do hope you uh, will all take it to heart to read a little bit more in 2017. It's a it's a great uh, it's a great uh, hobby. It's uh, it will change your life if you read the right things and then execute and implement those things into your daily life. So thanks for listening to the Sports Leadership Podcast. If you could do us one favor and you find value in these podcasts, we would love. Uh, for you to leave us a uh, review and rating on whatever podcasting platform you may be listening to. We're currently on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. So um, absolutely hope uh, you're enjoying these. We'll be reading all that feedback and uh, hope you can help us share our message and share this, uh, this podcast to people who may find value in it. So until next time, I'm Mark Hodgkin for Kevin DeShazo. Have a great day.